Welcome to Life Radio, where we practice collective reflection on modern life. I'm Lawrence. I'm Maureen. I'm Danielle. Each episode on Life Radio, we choose a topic, find a question, and dive in. Today, our topic is boundaries. I'm not okay with that, Lawrence. <laughs> oh. Are you saying you'd like to invoke a boundary? No, just just kidding. <laughs> Okay, so what questions for real do we have about boundaries? Why do they have such a bad reputation? Mm. Why are they so hard to create amongst women? Not so much amongst, but by. Why do women have such a hard time creating them, generally speaking? Yeah, I wonder what contributes to people's understanding of boundaries. Yes, like what, what contributes to how we develop an understanding of and practice with boundaries? What are the boundaries that we create and what are the boundaries that are created for us mm. that are embedded in the society? And do we really need them? Yes. <laughs> I'm not I'm not convinced. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Okay, okay, okay. That was not a that was not a rhetorical facetious question. You were no. interesting. Yeah, I have thoughts. Okay, well, I am wondering about boundaries. The question that's coming is, are they healthy? But that's not the actual question I want to ask, but it's like in that zone. Do you mean in general? Like, are, is the existence of boundaries healthy? I feel like, I mean, my answer to that question is yes. But the question I have is somewhere in there. It's like, what is the difference between a healthy and unhealthy boundary? Mm -hmm. Or how do we know if a boundary is needed. How do we know if a boundary is needed? Can we do a compound question? Like, what is a boundary? Do we need them? And if so, why? <laughs> is that cheating? Is that like three questions? Well, I mean, it seems like we are talking about these boundaries in the context of relationships and interactions. Yes? Or do we not want to be so narrow? Like, think about geographic boundaries or political boundaries or something like I mean, that? There's all different ways to think about boundaries. Like we've all been walking around with masks on our face, creating a boundary. <laughs> Staying six feet away. <laughs> Sometimes there is an interesting metaphor there, you know, and yeah. some people, some people are really struggling with those, with those physical boundaries or even wearing those barriers. But I don't think that's what we're talking about, right? I think what we're talking about is relationship boundaries. Yes. I think that's where we headed. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to limit us to that, though. Yeah, I resonated with what you were it's in some of the directions you were exploring. But Maureen, your question was, can you say it again? I'm not I'm not sure if that's where we're landing, but the compound question. Yeah, the long. What is a boundary? Do we need them? And if so, why? What if we chopped off the beginning of that? And it's just do we need boundaries? And if so, why? OK, ding, 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 ding. All right. Danielle? I am a believer in boundaries. And the reason is because <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm like, how do I explain this? You know, the way that I like to live, I like to be in clarity about my what I need in a given moment. If I blend too much into somebody or something else, or if I you know, I, I get lost from what is my truth. So actually, you know, I, I would say historically, I have 
pretty loose boundaries at times. And in fact, developing strong boundaries has been a freedom practice for me. Like, I don't have to answer that email. I don't have to go to that place. I don't have to talk to that person who's mean to me. I actually can take space for myself and that's healthy for me. And that's what I need to do first, you know? So I think in an, in an interpersonal way, the getting clear on, and Maureen, of course, we've talked about this so much, like getting clear on what is a yes and what is a no, and not just being in a default mode of yes, which I think some of that is gendered, but there are also other things that contribute to that. Like I've been studying codependency a lot lately and looking at the ways in which codependency you know, a lot of it first derived looking at families with alcoholics in it and the ways in which everybody would orient around this abuse and develop these unboundaried patterns as a way to protect and survive. And then actually those patterns get passed on through generations, even if there's not an alcoholic in the family, the codependency can get passed along and it can, you know, express as wanting to have control over situations and it can express as being a doormat in situations. And I think that actually, you know, getting aligned with ourselves and being independent and free is a really important contribution that we can make to our relationships. And so that's why I think practicing boundaries, saying what we want, saying what we need and taking care of ourselves first is, is really a, a step towards being happy. Okay, so I'm glad you brought up this idea of being honest about your yeses and your noes, right? So when like someone asks you to do something, honestly, is it a yes or a no for you, you know? Because I think that the lack of our tendency to be honest with our yeses and our noes is what leads us to need boundaries, which is a boundary is a form of separation, right? If I have a boundary between us, it's a, it's a way of separating us. A different way of thinking about this, and and my thinking about this has definitely been influenced by my meditation teacher, Byron Katie, but if I'm honest with myself and with you about my yeses and my noes, you ask me for something and maybe I don't want to give it, and instead of feeling guilty or getting trapped in a narrative of you know a fear about what will happen if I say no, even though I really want to say no, and I'm just honest that it's a no for me, and I express that, that is a form of connection. That's not a form of separation. It brings us closer. And there is no boundary there. It, it's removed because there was honesty. And so that's why I kind of question the idea about boundaries and, you know, do we need them? I think that actually what we need is to learn to tune in to ourselves, what our intuition tells us about a situation and what we do or do not want to do, what we do or do not want to say, whether it's a yes or a no. And actually, I actually help a lot of my coaching clients to, to tune into that because people are so unpracticed at it, right? And that, that like dissolves the need for boundaries. Like we're so connected. Maybe though, you know, it's like, I, I think that the boundary can be an interim step when people are practicing. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. I do agree with that. It's like training wheels. And the the actual being in touch with your yes and no and communicating as connection, I mean, that's an advanced practice. Yeah. <laughs> that is an advanced practice. That's definitely 201, well, maybe 301, given I, I the society that we live in today. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Lawrence. 
I have a thought I want to add, but you should go now. Well, just to say that I I think that what I've observed, because this does come up so often in my coaching practice, is that people actually pick it up pretty quickly if you just give them a few techniques for how to tune in. And it's more that people don't even think to do it or they don't. It's not even on a lot of people's radar screen that there's a way to know something other than rationalizing it right? That like our body can give us signals about whether it's a yes or a no, or like that's our intuition. That's our intuition using our body as a conduit to say if it's a yes or a no. And what I always coach my clients to do is to tune into like, when you think about doing something, do you feel a sense of expansion or a sense of contraction in your body? And if you feel a sense of expansion, it's a yes. If you feel a sense of contraction, it's a no. And they actually pick that up pretty quickly and and try it out. And, you know, it might take a while to really firmly interweave that into your day-to-day life that that I think is the 301 part but it's actually like not so complicated to figure out how to do I agree with that and I I really yeah the the 301 was like okay so I know that conceptually and I can feel it in my body but in a meeting with my boss right how do I actually do it right (laughs) or like when my family members are trying to convince me to come home during a COVID winter how do I say no if what my body wants is no? Yes, I but, agree with that. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is basically going in the direction, Danielle, that you were trying or that you were thinking maybe we wouldn't go. But I want to talk about ecosystems. <laughs> of course you <laughs> and do. Boundaries. Um, and I also want to come back to capitalism. <laughs> I don't think we've talked about capitalism this season. I don't know. We, we talk about capitalism all the time, so we probably have. Um, the point is, okay, ecosystems and boundaries. I learned from Gopal Dayaneni, who is one of the collective members of Movement Generation, the difference between boundaries and borders. Ooh. In ecosystem thinking, a border is like a impermeable barrier and a boundary is a permeable one. And the reason that boundaries are interesting, or one reason that boundaries are interesting in ecosystems is because when you get two different geographies, evolution happens at the place that their boundaries touch. So it's like where things from one ecosystem and things from another ecosystem have to learn how to interact with each other across difference. That area is called an ecotone. Anyways, I'm in the weeds now. The point is, interesting stuff happens at boundaries mm-hmm. in ecosystem thinking. And I have experienced that in my life as like really interesting stuff happens when I have to figure out how to hold healthy distance between me and someone or something else. Okay, I'll stop there. We'll come back to capitalism in a second. But how does the permeability factor into that, the translation of that analogy to like interpersonal relationships? Like when I think about my, like the people who I have in my like inner circle of friends, the permeability is just like flexibility and change. It's like it would be a border if I said, we're only going to talk for one hour every two weeks, 7 to 8 p.m. on Tuesdays. And that was fully inflexible. Now, there are parts of my life, like I prefer that as a structure between my friends because it means I don't ever have to plan when we're going to catch up. I know that there's not going to be more than 13 days between now and the next time we talk. And, you know, the other day, a friend of mine had a breakup and I'm like, oh yeah, let's talk way sooner than our next scheduled chat. Like that would feel really good. So I think that's one example of a way it translates. It's like, I know what feels good to my body given all the other commitments I have. 
that's the frequency that feels good and it's modifiable. And you could think about it too, if people are say making out with each other and you know, this one person crosses over into the other person's space and there's a negotiation there around like, oh, this is how we do it in my world. And this is how you do it in your world. And we're going to need to figure this out, right? So that one person isn't violated. Totally. I had a conversation with someone just the other day, you know, I'm doing some like community accountability work and it's a commonly discussed thing that like yes to one thing doesn't mean yes to everything. And, you know, one would hope that that was common knowledge. It seems like it's not. And so, you know, a boundary is what can help you enforce like, hey, I said yes to that first thing. Like I said yes to kissing. I did not say yes to you putting your hand on the back of my neck, even though that might seem like it's the natural next step. I didn't actually consent to that. And I want to make sure that we're clear. <laughs> so let's like talk about that thing. There's a boundary there that might not have been named explicitly, but as something pushes up against it, it's real clear. I want to talk about capitalism. So for me, the way capitalism ties into all of this is, well, obviously capitalism ties into almost everything in our society, but this thing in particular is capitalism is designed, like it only functions when it, when the system grows it must continually be consuming resources in order to stay afloat. Grow or die. And what that means at an interpersonal and personal level is we have to be conditioned out of our no. If we were able to maintain our boundaries around no, we would know what enough is and we would not consume indefinitely. Capitalism doesn't work without consumers who are insatiable. And so, you know, even if that's not true for every individual person at the level of Jeff Bezos, like if Jeff Bezos knew what enough was, Amazon wouldn't exist in the way that it currently does. It might still exist, but like people would have healthcare and they would be well paid. And Jeff Bezos wouldn't have. Does anyone know what the number is at right now? A lot. It's obscene. It's too much. Like the amount of money he makes in seconds is like entire like multiple households in a year, in seconds. So I think capitalism in order to, to thrive and to spread has to condition us out of our no. And that means we don't learn, we unlearn our no, and then we enforce demands on everyone else. Like we push things onto other people. So you're saying we're not as practiced as we need to be in saying no, because capitalism has created a culture and a framework where it it pushes us to always say yes. Yes. Because because that's what helps us consume more and more. Yeah, I think it shows up in the two primary ways. One is like labor force, like factory work at like you know before the 40-hour work week came, people could be worked forever. And even now that we have the 40-hour work week, I think that's still too much time. Like we are working too much given the amount of resource the earth actually has. So I think we are in a, and even now it's way beyond industrial culture. We're definitely in a post-industrial age, but most people are overworked and we live in patterns of overwork 
even when we could not be overworked, we are just like conditioned to be overworked. And, you know, I for sure am a victim of that. And that shows up in many different ways. I think it shows up in like people who are descendant from other people who were enslaved. I think there's one mechanism there. I think there's a mechanism for like owning class or like upper middle class, professional class folks. You, the belief is you have to work. And for working class folks, the belief is you have to work to earn your living. Like there's all these ways that that same mechanism I think plays out. And then I think the other thing is around consumption, like advertising as a structure convinces us that we are not enough. And therefore we need products to achieve enoughness, whether it's Coke or the next car or the weighted blanket or whatever. And other of those things are bad. Like our no is like conditioned out of us by like big systems, people who get paid a lot of money to convince us of things. We work with this idea uh, in the holistic vision where I want a convertible right? I want that. It's, it's all the movies that I've watched. It's this story that I have about who I am going to be when I am driving in that convertible. But when you really dig into that and you ask yourself, what will that give me? What will that give me? What will that give me? If you keep unraveling that four or five times, you start to get to the essence of what do I actually want? What I actually want is freedom. I don't actually want a convertible. I actually want freedom. And I think the steps to get me to freedom are all about yes and no about how I spend my time, right? But I think it is such a jagged path to try to get out of this conditioning that we have, that we need material objects or that we need a promotion or that we need more money. Or, and that's not to say, of course, like, People do need more money. People do need more resources. People do need health care. People do need, you know, so it's like, I guess on the societal level, I imagine a world where everybody has what they need to survive, you know, the freedom to become realized. And it's so curious to me that we as humans have handed over our time to this system, our time, that's a currency of our life, right? And we've, we've handed it over to this roller coaster that is, you know, having a career until you're 65 years old and however much money you have, that is what you have to live off of for the rest of your life, you know? And it's, it's so interesting, the lack of choice, you know, I can think of even as like a very young child being primed to think about my career path and think about, you know, first you're going to graduate from high school, then you're going to go to college, then you're going to have, and everybody's conditioned in a different way, you know, but it was always conditioned that like the most important thing was to have a job. And it's curious the ways in which society has designed these boundaries around what makes you okay and not okay and who gets to walk through which rites of passage and who gets to be what thing and how interesting it is when we challenge those boundaries and say actually I'm queer 
Actually, I'm gender nonconforming. Actually, I'm a woman and I'm going to do that. Or actually, I'm not going to go to college. You know, I'm not going to finish college when I'm 18 years old. I'm going to do it when I'm 25. And, you know, actually, my marriage is going to look like this or my relationship to my family is going to look like this or whatever it is to kind of press on those boundaries and be like, hey, why are you this way? Well, and I think that's interesting because, you know, I'm someone who in certain ways has you know, gone outside of the, com- the the proverbial box in terms of what society says women are supposed to want in life, right? I'm not interested in marriage. I don't want to have kids. I'm not interested in like a linear career path where I'm climbing some ladder, right? All these things. And, you know, for many years in my, in my 20s and even into my 30s, you know, I'd go home to visit my parents. My dad would pick me up at the airport, whatever, and he'd be like, so when are you going to get a career? <laughs> you know, and it was like, and I just would laugh. Whoa. And I just, and I, in, in a way, I guess it was pushing back on it, but I didn't experience it as pressing against boundaries because I, I think it's because I, I never internalized the idea that I should want this or that this would be my path. So it never, it was never fraught for me. I really, how, to, how did you I not internalize it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, but I just, I don't know. I somehow escaped it and it wasn't fraught for me to reject those trappings of like my white middle-class, you know, womanhood that every romantic comedy says you're, you should want. And I don't know. So it didn't. So I didn't experience those as boundaries. I mean, I noticed them. I was like, "Oh, isn't this curious?" Like, people seem to expect me to want to have children or you know, a husband. But, but I just never did. I just never did. And it was this example coming, kind of coming back to. I was honest with myself and honest with my yeses and my noes. And it wasn't. It was never up for debate for me. I just. I just knew I didn't want it, and I just. I just trusted that path, and it. I didn't really think that much about it. I just followed my intuition about what would make me feel happy and have a thriving life. And so far, so good. That's so interesting. That is so, so interesting. I do really wonder how you didn't internalize those things because like I grew up, you know, in Florida and the South and everybody in high school was like, I'm not going to do the thing everyone does. And then like by the time I was 21, like fully 80% of my friends were married and like on their way to having kids. And it's like, that doesn't, it's not random that everybody like finds their way onto the same path. It's like, no, there is so much conditioning. The water that people are swimming in or moving in culturally, like really encourages you to be down certain paths. And like those comments, you know, that comment that you said your dad made, like when you're going to get a career, like the questions I used to hear was like, okay, when are you going to get a girlfriend? Like, I think I was 11 the first time wow. someone asked me that question. Wow, wow. I was like, are you serious? like those questions over many years, they're just like little paper cuts. Oh my God, and yeah. I feel like that's the conditioning that encourages people like, okay, well, I do like this person enough. So maybe I'll date them and like, oh, okay, well, things aren't bad. And everyone's saying this thing and life will be easier for me if I just get married. So I'm going to do that, even though my body is screaming against it and I'm going to get divorced in 25 years. I wonder if we're talking about boundaries still or if we're talking about social norms and if there's a difference, right? Like hmm. when we think about social norms, I was I was just actually talking today with the 
CEO at Tostan, which has done a lot of really interesting work around social norms and what is sanctioned in the society and what is rewarded in the society. So I'm wondering when we're when we're speaking about these boundaries, how do boundaries relate to sanctions and rewards? Well, it's making me think we kind of started talking about ways people do or do not set their own boundaries with other people in their life. But it's making me wonder if, at least in this context, for example, of um, thinking about family structure and in particularly as it relates to women in the society where they have really been boxed in in many ways, if social norms can sometimes serve as boundaries that are imposed on other people, Mm. you know, so maybe I don't want to have this boundary around me of you should want marriage and children and the white picket fence. But then if that's the norm, then it's boxed me in. And I feel I was having this conversation with my mother last month about how I so often am so grateful that I was born in the time I was, because if I was born, you know, and, and was this age in, you know, 1950, I don't know if I would be okay. You know, I don't, I don't know if I could survive a time when women were truly ostracized for making the choices that I made because the social norms were really did create these boundaries where my opportunities actually would have been limited, you know, or the boundary around career. I mean, my mom shared with me last year, you know, cause she was a teacher for the first three years after my parents got married and before she had my oldest brother. And I said, oh, you know, did you like teaching mom? And she said, no, I hated it. And I was like, well, why did you do it? And she said, well, I had three options. I could be a nurse, a secretary, or a teacher. So that's the one I picked. And I just thought, my God, like the the boundaries that those societal norms put around this woman who, you know, and I asked her recently, what would you have done? And she said, oh, I would have gone into horticulture, you know, which would have been perfect for her. She would have been That she would have had an amazing career. But the social norms put such rigid boundaries around the pathways that were available to her. But again, I think part of it is like, if you if you believe it, because there certainly are examples of women that broke those boundaries, right? But there's a lot of fear around that. It's very fraught. It comes often with a price. And so you have to navigate all that as well. And I will just add that I think one of the reasons, as I'm kind of thinking about it now, that I didn't internalize a lot of those norms for my own life is actually probably because of my parents. Because although my dad never really understood, I don't think what a community organizer does, or, you know, he kind of jokes about it, about getting a career. I I never felt pressure from my parents. I mean, my mother has never made a single comment to me about why don't you, you know, have a husband and kids. And I think that that in large part supported me in just finding my own path because they really didn't pressure me in any way to go that route. Well, that Sounds like we owe a lot to your parents. <laughs> yes. Thanks, mom and dad. Yeah. Mm. Well, I know we could talk for a lot longer about this and all topics, but I think we should wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know, I know. But <laughs> see, this is a boundary <laughs> that we're going to Well played, Lawrence. <laughs> because Life Radio can't take over our entire lives. <laughs> It is exi- It exists inside this lovely boundary so that we can be healthy with everything else we have to do. Excuse me, with everything else we want to and get to do. And in good boundaries <laughs> with our listeners. That's right. <laughs> Heck yeah. So thank you all for listening to this episode of Life Radio, this collective reflection on modern life. Uh, as always, we would love to hear your reactions and your thoughts. 
You can find us on Instagram at Life Radio Show, L-I-F-E-R-A-D-I-O-S-H-O-W. And now we want to know what questions are you grappling with? What do you think about boundaries? What's going on out there? Okay, that's it. So till next time, bye. 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 <laughs>